on September 8th, we're beginning a new sermon series in Habakkuk. Um, and so uh, for the last few weeks of the summer, we will often just have topical messages and depending on what's going on in the church and what's going on in the life of Trinity and all that. And so I wanted to share a, a brief story with you um, just about uh, an encounter that I had this week. And so um, I met a really nice gentleman here. He, he came this week and uh, he came to do some work at the church. And uh, he was really nice and, and uh, quite talkative, and, and we started to have a good conversation right before he was ready to leave, and actually knew, knew what he was doing, just a r- really good worker at what he was doing. And so right before he left, um, he started to ask me some questions, and so he said, so uh, you're the pastor here. I said, yes, I'm, I'm one of the elders and one of the leaders here, and he said, um, so what kind of church is this? It's a Baptist church. And I said, well, yes, we have Baptistic traditions and a rich history of that. I said, but actually we're non-denominational. We're an independent Baptist church, if you'd say. And um, so once I said that, it started about a, a 25-minute conversation about everything he knew about church, his experience with Christians, his understanding of Jesus. And perhaps you've had conversations like that, but he got so passionate and excited to talk about it, but yet he told me at the very beginning, he said, I am now an atheist. And I said, well, you're now an atheist. What were you before that? And he said, well, I grew up in the Catholic Church. Uh, and he went on to tell me all the stuff that he had studied and researched and knew about church history. He mentioned Constantine in the 300s and, and uh, ushering in a time when uh, Christianity was sort of legalized and the changes that made good and bad. And he seemed very knowledgeable and passionate but what it came to was this, is I was just listening, just kind of listening to him talk, tell his story. Didn't ask him any questions. He had a lot to say. And what I started to hear was a theme, that he was talking about how the, the people in his life and the people that he has seen in society and popular, popularized in the media that claimed to be Christians, he said, had let him down. That everywhere he looked, there were people claiming to be Christ followers who didn't do anything of what he saw Jesus doing in the scripture. I said, have you read the Bible? He goes, oh, I read it all the time. Now, that was interesting because he said he was an atheist. Remember I said that? But he's reading, and so he's searching. And I think we all know people that are searching to know about God, and we all have that built within us, right? Ecclesiastes tells us that God has planted, that he has put eternity on our hearts, which means each human being, everybody that you meet every day, including yourself, God has sort of put that stamp on your heart to desire to know what our purpose is. And so he went on to just sort of tell me all of these things that he was so disappointed in, in uh, Christians and in church. But also notice is that he had no problem talking about Jesus. See, he didn't have an issue with Jesus per se. He had an issue with Jesus' followers. Did you ever come across that in a conversation? So he went on, he he was just sort of just talking to me all about the stuff that he knew, and he was very intelligent and well-read. And um, so as I'm listening, 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 I'm asking, and perhaps you found this, you found yourself in this situation too, asking the Holy Spirit to just bring to mind what I should say to this gentleman, to bring some scriptures to mind. Because again, you never know what's going to happen. He was here to fix something, and you don't expect that all of a sudden you're going to be talking about Constantine and what he did in the year 312, right? You don't expect that. But it's all good. And so I'm praying and just asking. And what came to mind was this. The first thing that came to mind, I remember, as you're reading through the scriptures, do you remember the question that Pilate asked 
Jesus. When Pilate was trying to understand what Jesus was doing and why Jesus wasn't defending himself and what was going on, do you remember the very simple question, three words that Pilate asked Jesus? He said, what is truth? And see, my friend, this, this guy who was here working at the church I was talking to, he he was searching for the truth, and he had this deep-seated need and desire to know what was true. And so all I could tell him, I, I could tell there was no way to, to sort of argue with him. You never want to argue, even debate, right? But what you want to do is you want to bring conversations back to Jesus and to his word. And so I encouraged him the few times that I had to get a word in there. I said, you said you're still reading the scriptures. Yes, yes, sir. I said, read the gospel of John. I said, read the gospel and just see what Jesus says. I said, you know what? I said, I'm with you. I understand. You've been let down, Christians, your whole life, whether it's a Catholic church or after. He mentioned some other churches in the area. That was a little awkward. I said, I can't speak to that. I said, just look at what Jesus has to say. He goes, oh, I know what Jesus says. So I said, go back, read the Gospel of John, and pray that God would reveal himself to you. Oh, yeah, I prayed that. I prayed that. So pray it again. Pray that God reveal himself to you because that is how he has revealed himself to us through his word. So give Jesus another chance. So I just wanted to bring it back to two things, to the scriptures and to Jesus. Because there's no way that I'm going to convince him of anything. But I want to point him back in the direction. So three times I told him to do that. I encouraged him. I said, just read the scriptures. Just go back and read the gospel. Listen to what Jesus says understanding that there's been people who have let you down that don't represent him so well in your life and in our world, just go back and pray that God reveal himself to you in the scriptures and to see Jesus as who he really is. And then as he was leaving, he seemed, he seemed appreciative of that. It certainly wasn't changing his mind or anything. And as he was leaving, he asked, he said, what time is your mass on Sunday? I said, 10.30. Okay, let's see if I can get there. Maybe someday he will. Don't know. But here's what I was thinking. That question that Pilate asked, what is truth? You know, whenever, whenever we are doubting, whenever we are questioning, whatever God is doing in our life, or we have other people questioning and we're saying, God, what can I say to this particular person? Or, God, what do I need to be reminded of myself? We need to bring it back to the scriptures where God has revealed himself and to Jesus, who we see all throughout the scriptures. So it reminded me of this story from scripture. Do you remember in Luke 24, it's the only gospel account that gives record of it. Do you remember when Jesus appeared to the two disciples, the two men on the road to Emmaus? you remember that? It's it's one of my favorite stories. I love it. So I want to read you the story and just talk a little bit about that uh, in our time remaining this morning. So in Luke 24... Verses 13 to 32, in just a moment it will be up on the screen for you. There is this really cool um, exchange, uh, a question and answer, if you will again, between Jesus and two of his followers who have been dejected and discouraged. See, this account of Jesus and his conversation, his interaction with these two men is an amazing scene. Uh, in, in Jesus' appearance to his disciples, it is a beautiful picture of our journey from doubt to discovery to discipleship. See that? 
The Road to Emmaus story, it's wonderful because it's sort of a snapshot, a picture of our own journey of faith from doubting to discovery and then choosing to be disciples, to learn and to grow and to serve. You see that? It's a wonderful progression from doubt to discovery to discipleship, and we see it with these two men on the road to Emmaus. So it's representative, the story is, of a Christian's walk towards maturity in faith as we continually find hope in the resurrected Jesus along the way. Because that's what happened. The The resurrected Lord appeared to these two men who had been dejected and depressed about what had just happened. They started hearing rumors that perhaps Jesus had come back to life, but all they knew as they were leaving Jerusalem on about a seven-mile walk to, uh, to this town of Emmaus, all they knew was that the guy that they were following, who they called Master, he just died, and that wasn't the way it was supposed to go. And even hearing these rumors about the resurrection, they didn't see to believe it, and so they were leaving disheartened. But yet it's a great picture as Jesus interacts with them of our walk towards maturity and faith because we always need to find hope and find it in the resurrection. Is that true? Yes. Is that true? Yes, thank you. Okay, good. I want to make sure. So here's what it says. This is that story from Luke 24, 13 to 32, and I just want to talk for a few minutes about it after I read it. Perhaps it's familiar to you. Uh, But if not, know that this happens after Jesus' resurrection begins to appear to uh, his disciples. And these are two of them recorded only in Luke. It says, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. Can you just picture the conversation? While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, So what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. So first of all, you see what's happening? Jesus appeared to them, but they don't know it's Jesus. So he's sort of just asking them, just sort of a guy on the street, saying, "Uh, what are you talking about? Why do you look so, so, so sad? So then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Do you see the irony? They're like, you must be the only person that doesn't know what happened. And this is Jesus, the only one who knows everything that just happened, right? And, um, and he said to them, what things? So Jesus is asking them. And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us, they went to the tomb. They found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. See, they, see what they just recounted? Everything that happened, yet they still didn't believe it. And Jesus said to them, O oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and 
enter into his glory? So then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he was going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, No, no, stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So Jesus went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, he blessed, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and then they recognized him. But then he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Isn't that awesome? I love that whole scene. Because it says that that Jesus asked them what was going on, and they gave an account of exactly what happened, but they still didn't believe it. See, they were heading away from Jerusalem. They should have been heading back towards Jerusalem to gather with the, the believers and wait for Jesus along with the other disciples for his appearance to them. And so they were so dejected on their way home. And Jesus spent time with them and he met with them and he asked them questions. What's going on? Why are you so sad? And, and then he asked them and he, he says to them, you're so foolish. He says, you should know what all the prophets had already said about this Jesus. See, what he's saying is that if you would have read the scriptures, you would know that this should have happened. It was happening just as the prophets said it would. But you know what? He didn't leave it there. He didn't just say, ah, you should know your Bible, and he walked away. What did he do? He kind of just walked with them. And it says, starting with Moses, it says he told them the story of the Bible, leaving, leading all the way up to the resurrection, and how he was the center of it all. Isn't that perfect? It's so beautiful. I mean, they had shared their discouragement and doubt about everything that had happened. He says, oh, foolish, how foolish you are. You're slow of heart to believe all the prophets had said. He said, did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter into glory? But then he takes pity and says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. How'd you like to sit in a Bible study and Jesus actually leading the Bible studies? That's good. Now we have commentaries and we have books and we have great thinkers and scholars and people that have really that have wonderful hearts to the Lord and they've written so much, but yet we still have God's word and we have the Holy Spirit with us. And so we can have a Bible study with Jesus leading it. So we ask the Holy Spirit to lead us to reveal himself to us. See, that's what Jesus did. He revealed himself to these two men through the scriptures. Did you catch that? Jesus revealed himself to these men through the scriptures that had already been given. As if Jesus was saying, God the Father has already revealed himself and his plan to you. You don't need any other special revelation from me. Let's go back to the scriptures and I'll show you what it says all about me. That's what he did. So he told them the story of the Bible. And then at the end, the men said, after their eyes were open, they said, didn't our hearts burn within us? They were like, something was different. Like that fire was ignited again while he was telling us, reminding us about the scriptures while he opened up the scriptures to us. Did you ever go back to reading the scripture after a time away? I mean, I really need this. And you go back and you read it. You get so pumped up and energized and excited, you find the peace you're looking for and the hope. Does that happen to you? 
Right? You open the scriptures again, you're like, oh, I missed this. And all of a sudden the truth starts pouring in because your eyes are open like, forgive me God for not reading this yesterday and the day before and ten minutes ago. Like, this is so good. But that's what happens. That's what happened to the men because after their eyes were opened, it's that they were like looking at each other like, man, our hearts are just burning within us. You know, a couple of weeks ago I talked about the power of hospitality. You see the men? They invited them in. Jesus was like, no, I'm going to keep going. They're like, no, no, you've got to come. Come eat with us. They invited Jesus in. And he said, let's look at the word and see what it says. See? So here's what I'd like to do. For the next 10 minutes, I'm going to read to you the story of the Bible. I'm going to read to you an overarching summary of the scriptures. Now, of course, we don't know exactly how Jesus did it, but however he did it was perfect, of course. But said he started with Moses and went all the way up to the resurrection and told them, he told the disciples this whole story that you're about to hear. And every part of the way, he said, this is about me. This is about me. Oh, this, this is about me. This is about me. So as I read this, think about, where is Jesus in this story? Why is it so important to us? So perhaps you haven't read or heard the Bible sort of uh, described this way or proclaimed this way, but I just want to have a little bit of story time here if we can. I'm going to read to you a narrative of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. Follow along with me. It'll it'll be up on the screen. Everything I'm reading will be up on the screen so you can listen and see. But consider yourselves perhaps like in the shoes of the two disciples hearing the story of scriptures once again and saying, yes, here is Jesus, the Messiah, through it all. Yes, they did predict him. Yes, it is all about God's plan for restoration and reconciliation. And yes, there is hope because of what God had promised. In the beginning was God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He had always existed, but now he spoke into being all that we know. First, the angels, then the heavens, and the earth, and everything they contain. He then created man and woman in his own image. The first being Adam and Eve, and they lived in perfect harmony, in a perfect place God had created for them. It was a garden called Eden. One of the angels that God had created, perhaps the most magnificent of them all, had rebelled against God in pride, wanting to be greater than God and and not his servant. And one day this angel, Satan, tempted Adam and Eve to do the same. And they did. They rebelled against God by disobeying the one rule he had given them. In their sinful disobedience to the Creator, they became separated from Him, banished even from the garden, and now subjected to decay, destruction, and death, physically and spiritually. But God did not give up on them. In the midst of pain and toil and hardship and death, there was also the promise of redemption. 
So sin spreads in the world and becomes so severe that in his righteous anger, God judges the world and sends a flood, destroying all living things, but mercifully saves Noah, his family, and some animals. Sadly, things don't improve. And through Noah and his family, sin takes root once again. God commands that the people multiply and spread out over the earth, but in their rebellion, they do just the opposite and build for themselves a tower to reach into the sky, trying to prove their independence from God. So again, God judges, confusing their languages, thus forcing people to scatter and create many nations and cultures. His will be done. God then chooses one man named Abraham, to leave his home, and to go to a new land that he would show him. God makes an unconditional covenant with Abraham, including a land for his people and a blessing for the whole world through his descendants. This is a promise that sets the stage for all the events, the rest of the story. We learn of God's relationship with Abraham's son Isaac, his son Jacob, then one of his sons Joseph, and then this begins the rise of the Jewish people as a race. So through Joseph, the whole extended family of Jacob, who also called Israel, about 70 or so, they end up in Egypt, and all is well. But after about 400 years, their story is forgotten, and the new Pharaoh sees the Jews, now over about a million strong, as a threat. And he makes them slaves. So enter Moses. Born a Jew, but raised as a son of Pharaoh. Banished to the wilderness for a treasonous act of murder. Then called by God to go back and set his people free. Through the ten plagues and the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, the parting of the Red Sea and the destruction of Pharaoh's army, they are free. God uses Moses to lead his people towards that promised land. God gives them Ten Commandments, laws about holiness and worship. A conditional covenant this time, where obedience leads to blessings and disobedience to a curse. But again, in sin and rebellion, they follow false gods. Their disobedience and lack of trust in God lead them to wander in the desert for 40 years and keeps that generation, including Moses, from entering the promised land. The books of Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy contain things about the law, plans for the promised lands, and reminders by Moses for Israel to follow God. But then Joshua, the new leader, leads the Jews in conquering the land of Canaan, the land promised to them by God. Their relationship with God continues to be tenuous. It's because of their sin. So they fall into disobedience, they cry out to God for help, and he provides them a leader, a judge this time, to save and to provide. So they're humbled and they're penitent for a time. Then the cycle begins again. Blessing, disobedience, judgment, repentance, and mercy. Blessing and disobedience and again and again. So the people decide... What they really need is a king, not a judge. So God uses the last great judge, Samuel, to anoint for them a king named Saul. He starts off pretty well. 
But the people wanted him for the wrong reasons, to be like the pagan nations around him. And Saul follows suit. And he becomes angry and paranoid and even barbaric. And eventually he is killed along with his sons. There's no dynasty for King Saul. God then appoints a new king, a man man after his own heart named David. He's a young man. He's a giant killer who rules the 12 tribes for about 40 years. Jerusalem is now considered the city of David. A line of Davidic kingship begins. The tabernacle moves to the temple in Jerusalem, the permanent place of worship. David's son Solomon builds the temple. Under Solomon's son Rehoboam, the nations become divided. And due to a series of bad kings and increased idol worship, both kingdoms eventually end up in exile. The north taken by Assyria and the south in exile to Babylon under King Nebuchadnezzar. But God also sent prophets to his people before and after the exiles to call them to repentance and back to him. So eventually a remnant returns to Jerusalem from exile. They begin to rebuild. And once again, Israel has a national identity. Then, for the next 400 years, silence. Between the Old Testament and the New Testament, no word from God. The Jewish people at that time are under the rule of various empires. First the Assyrians, they give way to the Babylonians who are then overtaken by the Persians, who are then overtaken by the Greeks, and then eventually it is the Romans. Now we enter Act 2. Do you feel like you need an intermission? Maybe go get some popcorn and, you know. I could sing a little. So now enters Jesus, the Messiah. The promised descendant of Abraham and David to fulfill God's plan to redeem the world and restore creation. He is born under this Roman rule. He's born of a virgin. He grew to preach repentance and a new kingdom and the gospel, the good news of hope and forgiveness, deliverance in this world and life eternal in him. Jesus was obedient to the Father and he accomplished what he was sent to do. He's crucified under Pontius Pilate. He's buried and on the third day rose back to life in body and spirit, resurrected to defeat death and deliver the hope of eternal life. He then appeared to his apostles and then to 500 more. And after 40 days, he ascended to heaven. He established his church, giving the Holy Spirit to empower and guide to continue his mission on earth until he returns for his church. The church grows among the Jews and then the Gentiles in Jerusalem, and then Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the known earth. Now we are that church. And we follow Christ's example. See, this is our part in the story. By living and sharing the gospel, the good news of forgiveness of sins by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We are called to be salt and light to a lost and hurting world, remaining obedient and trusting in the Lord until he returns. That's where we are in the story. But how does the story end? In the near future, perhaps the very near future, when Christ does return, the true church is removed from the earth, God will finish his discipline of Israel 
and finalize his judgment of the unbelieving world during the seven years of what we call the tribulations, what Scripture says, when the Antichrist assumes power. At the end of that tribulation, the Antichrist will launch a final attack on Jerusalem, culminating in the Battle of Armageddon. Jesus Christ will return then, destroying the Antichrist and his armies, and cast them into the lake of fire. And Christ will then bind Satan in the abyss for a thousand years. And he will rule his earthly kingdom from the throne of David in Jerusalem for that thousand-year period. At the end of the thousand years, Jesus will release Satan. Satan will attempt one last attack, be defeated one last time, and then cast into the lake of fire with the rest of them for all eternity. Christ will then deliver the kingdom to the Father and usher in a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem the eternal dwelling place of believers. And never again will there be any sin, sorrow, or death. And that is the end, but it's also the beginning. It's the beginning. See, if you notice, if you go back to that story on the road to Emmaus, what happened with the men? They misinterpreted the scriptures. They mishandled the truth God had given them. Jesus even said, Oh, you're so foolish. You have missed everything that God has already revealed. Since they misinterpreted the scriptures, they missed the Messiah. They hoped Jesus would bring Israel uh, the same power and prosperity that she once enjoyed, only magnified and multiplied, but that wasn't the kind of kingdom Jesus was bringing. They also were heading out of Jerusalem and not to it. They misunderstood the resurrection. You see... They saw the trials, the crucifixion, the burial of Jesus, the fulfillment of all he promised, but they were missing the scriptures as laid out to them. He had said, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had already spoken. Jesus demonstrated that these two followers knew the contents of scripture, but did not accept his message of truth. So as a result, they failed to see God's sovereign plan. His question to them, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into glory? It pointed the reason they should have understood. They had confused their own expectations with the hope that God was offering. See that? They confused what they wanted, their will, their own expectations of how things should go according to their idea and their plans. They confused that with the actual hope and truth that God was offering. So they failed to see God's ultimate purpose. But to help these two followers, Jesus reviewed the entire history of Israel all the way up to his own resurrection, highlighting along the way God's plan for restoration and salvation. So first we see from that story and the overarching story of Scripture that I just read as a reminder to us what we should know, what we have at our fingertips in the Scriptures, what you have on your phone and your pad and in this, the Bible that you have. First we see that these disciples, they ask Jesus in. They invited him into their home. They liked what they heard. And they said, come in. When you read the scriptures, you'll like what you hear. You'll like what you read. 
but are you willing to invite him in? Because Jesus is there, and he's there in every page of those scriptures revealing himself to you. But ours, as it says in Ephesians, is to believe and to receive a gift that is given by grace alone. We receive it by faith alone, in Christ alone. Will you invite him in? And once you do, are you willing to surrender your expectations to his will? It means this, you believe. You invite him into your life and you are now a believer that what Jesus said came true. That all that he said that he was going to do, he did. And you believe and trust. But now are you willing to lay aside your own will, your own expectations, and follow his? How do we do that? by reading the scriptures, by coming to him in prayer, by meditating on his word, by enjoying the fellowship of others that encourage you, by worshiping God in every way that he gives us to stay connected with him so that we can learn and understand and follow his will and slowly as we mature in faith, replace our own expectations for his actual truth and will. When we do that, we are to seek God's perspective See, that our own perspective on the way we, th- we think things should go, the way we think things should be true, the way we define truth will give way to the way he defines truth. Pilate said, what is truth? And God reveals his truth to us. And finally, after we let him in, we surrender our expectations to his will. We seek his perspective in his word every day. Then it comes down to this. Are you willing to trust and obey? I love that old hymn. Because those two words can really summarize the Christian faith, can't they? We can read the scriptures and, and we can say, man, this is too confusing. I don't understand all this. God makes it very simple. In Christ, you know what he asks of us? He says, just trust me and obey me. If you're a parent, wouldn't that be all that you would ask of your children? How about some obedience, because I have your best interest in mind, and I'm a little older than you, have more experience. Obedience is good and right. And then trust me, because there's so much we don't know. As kids, there's so much we don't know, but are we willing to trust our parents? As adults, are we willing to trust God? He says, just obey and trust that the plans I have for you are good. Not to hurt you, but to prosper you. They're to give you hope and to give you a future. So that's the story of Scripture, and that's our place in the story. As we look at that great account on the road to Emmaus, that Jesus revealed himself to those two disciples through all the Scriptures. He took the time to recount the whole Bible story to them, to remind them. So I encourage you, you have the Bible. Read it. Read the story. I just read to you in 10 minutes, just read you that overarching, beautiful narrative of Scripture. Go back to the Scriptures and see the truth as it's laid out. And pray, like I encouraged my friend to do. Pray that God reveal himself to you through his word. Because that's what he promises to do. And your eyes are continually opened. Your perspective is changed to his perspective. You set aside your own expectations and will and adopt his. And that's called becoming a disciple being a child of God. So we have his very word. And Jesus used the word of God, already revealed, to open the eyes of the disciples. He wants to do the same for us. Would you stand as I close us in prayer?
Father, you are um, so gracious to us that you have given us your word that you as God of the universe, creator of all things, have chosen to reveal yourself to us so that we could know you. God, we can't even truly fathom how that works or what that's all about, but we just know that you ask us to trust that it is good and to obey you and your word. So thank you for showing us who you are, your true character. Thank you, God, that you have given us Jesus to connect us back to you. For we know that in our sin, in our sinful state, going all the way back to our original parents, Adam and Eve, that we have been separated from you. But even at that moment, you promised a redeemer. God, we recognize Jesus as that promised Messiah and redeemer. We believe and trust here that all that he said that he was going to do, he did. That you accepted what he did. That we are now in your sight, covered by his blood, considered righteous and holy, and being able to enter into your presence. God, we are your church now. We know our place in your story. And Father, we desire to represent you well. To represent you to each other and to our world as you would like us to. So, Father, give us the strength to do that, the humility to do that, the wisdom to do that. And as we leave this place, God, may we go proclaiming how good you are and telling others this great story of yours and how you offered redemption so long ago. And Jesus is the way, that truth, and the way to life. Well, thank you for it. We look forward to all those divine appointments you're already setting up. But God, help us through your spirit to know what to say, bring the scriptures back to mind, and that no matter what is going on, that we would always point people back to you and your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.